This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Podcast and it's Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, January 21st, 2021, people. I hope everybody is having a great week, and I hope everybody uh, is ready for, frankly, an action-packed Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, even as recently as about two hours before I started recording. Didn't know what exactly I was going to talk about, but the storylines, they present themselves. Here is a very quick rundown of what we'll talk about on this Thursday episode. First of all, we will actually start in the Pac-12. We have not talked very much Pac-12 because the Pac-12 is irrelevant, and the Pac-12 is irrelevant because Larry Scott is the commissioner, or at least he was the commissioner because he was fired late Wednesday night, so we will talk about that, why it is important for the entire college sports landscape. We will transition to college basketball, where I think the biggest story since we last recorded is I think it's officially safe to say, first of all, the NCAA tournament, we kind of know what it's going to look like now, but it is officially time to put dirt on the graves of both Duke and Kentucky. Each took another loss. It's over. They will not be in the NCAA tournament. And I just think it's time we got to talk about it and move on because these two teams are abysmal this year. We will wrap on what is actually the opposite of an abysmal team, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Told you two weeks ago they were awesome. They have exceeded even my expectations. We'll talk about them coming off a record-setting win over LSU. Talk a little bit about that Arkansas win. And then... We will talk to a very special, very fun guest. So on Tuesday's episode, we talked a lot about Baylor. Baylor is, of course, I believe one of the best stories in college basketball. Their star shooting guard, Macy Oteague, joins the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We'll talk to Macy Oteague. Really fun interview. Really good insight into what is a really underrated, underappreciated Baylor basketball program. We'll just talk about all the different things going on in this season, how this team came together, why they play so well, can they actually beat Gonzaga, what happened when they were supposed to play Gonzaga. So a really fun interview for a team and a program that I think is going to remain in the national storylines really throughout this season. Loaded show, as I said. So let's get started. Before we do, want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I say it all the time but I do appreciate your support. You can subscribe on iTunes, on the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram uh, and YouTube. Blowing up, as I always say, go find me on YouTube at Aaron Torres on YouTube. You can find me there. I think I said it, but Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com if you have any questions. But so many ways to find me, so many ways to connect, and so much appreciation from me for the support that you give this show. And with that said, people, there is no more time to waste, and let's get into what is frankly probably the single biggest story in college athletics since I last recorded, and that is that on late Wednesday night, the Pac-12 officially fired Larry Scott. 
I would say how you get fired on your day off, but I guess by technicality he was working. Better yet, how do you get fired at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday or a Wednesday is the better question. Uh, and, and as I kind of thought about this topic, right, I, I was kind of thinking, do I actually lead the show with this topic? Does anyone that listens to this podcast care about Pac-12 sports? And I think that is exactly why I have to lead with this show. Most of you, unless you are a USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Arizona fan, you don't care about Pac-12 sports. And the reason you don't care about Pac-12 sports is because this conference has been irrelevant over the last four, five, six, seven years, most notably in the big uh, revenue-producing sports, college football, college basketball. Now, to the Pac-12's credit, they are great in the Olympic sports, uh, the swimming sports, track and field, all of that stuff. But in the sports that people pay attention to, in the sports that make money to pay for all the other sports, the Pac-12 has been abysmal, and it is a direct reflection of the horrendous, hideous, awful leadership of Larry Scott, who was given his walking papers on Wednesday. And let me just tell you, uh, it comes, it brings to a conclusion one of the worst reigns of any leader in the history of college sports. And if that sounds like hyperbole, it really isn't. And I'm going to get why, I'm going to get to why momentarily. Before I do, I do think it's kind of crazy and worth noting. Uh, it's wild to think about the Larry Scott regime because it started with like a real bang, right? Like if you remember, he was hired in 2009 and immediately, what was the first thing he did? He tried to get Texas and Oklahoma into the Pac-12. Remember that story? It was kind of crazy. Can they get the, the they, they were going to turn it into the Pac-16 and get Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, and I, I don't know if it was A&M or Texas Tech or whoever, get them to form a super conference in the Pac-12. It fell apart. And then after that, that was kind of just a nice kind of uh, metaphor or microcosm or precursor of what was to come in the Larry Scott era because there were so many just disastrous, awful things that have happened one after another after another, all leading to where we are today, which is that the Pac-12 is essentially not even a Power 5 conference. I mean, they are in name recognition only. But when we think of the power conferences in football and basketball, we think of the SEC, we think of the Big Ten, we think of the ACC, we think of the Big 12. The Pac-12 is just lagging behind, and it is a direct reflection on all of the things that Larry Scott has done wrong over the course of his tenure in the Pac-12. I went ahead and just to give you guys an understanding of how bad he has been, I tried to just very quickly, late here on Wednesday night, put together the things that have gone wrong under Larry Scott's leadership in the Pac-12. First of all, there's the Pac-12 network. Just a complete abomination. For people who don't know the dynamics of it, I won't bore you with too many details, but obviously the SEC network and the ACC network are owned partially by ESPN. The Big Ten network is owned partially by Fox. That has helped those networks grow, expand, get into homes across the country. The Pac-12 network is irrelevant, okay? I've made this joke. I've made this comment on this show before. I live in Los Angeles and cannot get the Pac-12 network. If that doesn't speak to how awful the uh, the ability of the, the the network to grow to expand to get into homes has been I don't know what is again I live in Los Angeles I pay for the most expensive cable package going I'm probably the only person under 40 in America that still pays for cable but I don't get the Pac-12 network which tells you everything you need to know about the distribution of the Pac-12 network if the people that in theory want it the most the people here in Los Angeles in the western footprint can't get it how do you promote your brands how do you promote your schools how do you build anything when no one can see your product that is problem number one problem number two it was one PR disaster after another, after another, after another. There were issues with the refs, where refs missed calls and they went to the re this and that. It was disastrous, okay? Uh, how about the fact that Larry Scott this year thought it was a great idea, his programs can't get exposure, rather than blaming the Pac-12 network not being on TV, he started playing kickoffs at 9 a.m., okay? If that doesn't tell you how idiotic this guy's leadership is, nothing does. He thought the answer to get more exposure for his football teams was to have 9 a.m. kickoffs. No. You know what helps get people to watch your football teams? Have them be good. 
Have them be relevant. Have them be teams that people have to watch nationally to have a conversation about college football. That's the easy way to get people interested in your product. There were the PR uh, problems beyond that. First of all, he was the highest paid uh, Power 5 commissioner in a league that produced the, le- the least revenue of any of the, of the conferences, right? So Greg Sankey makes, I think, the third, fourth most of any conference commissioner. His schools are making money hand over fist. Kevin Warren, you could say what you want about him in the Big Ten, and a lot of it he inherited from Jim Delaney, but his programs are making money hand over fist. Larry Scott's making more money in salary than all of them, and oh, by the way, um, oh, by the way, uh, his conference is producing way less revenue than all of them, again, in large part because the Pac-12 network isn't actually on TV anywhere. Beyond that, there are other PR disasters, like, oh, by the way, when he, again, already being the highest paid CEO, the highest paid commissioner in major college athletics, took a bonus right before the pandemic, right after the pandemic started, and right before the conference laid off about 50 staff members because of the fact that they were out of money. Well, they were out of money because the commissioner just took a big bonus. So that probably didn't help. The fact that, oh, by the way, the conference was headquartered in San Francisco, one of the most expensive areas of the country to live in. When you have Phoenix, you have Las Vegas, you have all these affordable areas to save the conference money, I could go on and on and on. I will avoid any more PR problems, and I will simply talk about the products on the field. I mentioned it a minute ago, but the Pac-12 has been irrelevant in the sports that matter since this guy took over. I know not all of it is his fault, but I also don't think it can be ignored that right before he got into office in 2009, you know what had happened? USC was the number one program and brand in all of college football. Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, Pete Carroll, that era ended right when he got to the Pac-12. UCLA coming off three straight Final Four appearances, 06, 07, 08. Well, guess what? Since he has gotten there, All of these programs have fallen off the map. Uh, First of all, in the Pac-12 in football, since this playoff has been implemented, how about this for a fact? The Pac-12 has won one playoff game since the playoff started. It was literally the first playoff game ever played between Oregon and Florida State in the first year of the playoff. They have not won a Pac-12, they have not won a playoff game since. Oh, by the way, on top of that, beyond that, Uh, They haven't even made the playoff in the last four years. Oklahoma, who has never won a playoff game, by the way, has more playoff appearances as a school than the entire Pac-12 has as a conference. Not good. Basketball, it's the same deal. Since UCLA made the Final Four in 2008, they have had one team make the Final Four in Larry Scott's regime. That was Oregon in 2017. They lost to UNC, which, of course, won the national title that year. So, yeah. A one, one team winning, and I know all of this isn't Larry Scott's fault, but when you don't give your schools the resources to compete financially because of your uh, network, because of your conference network not making money, well, guess what? They fall behind, they can't uh, spend the way other schools spend, they can't spend the way other conferences spend, and all of a sudden, the on-the-field and on-the-court product suffers. Finally, I would be remiss if I did not say that I believe that despite all of this, the actual problem, the thing that ultimately got him fired, beyond his teams just being terrible, is that what he did with this entire football season. And if you don't remember, I mean, this was a masterclass in how not to run uh, any entity, right? Like, 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 that's the thing. It's not that, that, you know, it's not that he canceled the season, not that he did this. He made every single wrong decision along the way. It was brutal. It was awful. First of all, he backed the Big Ten in canceling the season. At the time, I can't really blame him. I can't really say that it was the quote-unquote wrong decision. I think that it was, but I understand why they did it. They thought the other conferences were going to follow suit. Here's the thing you might not remember about that day, though. If you remember... Not only did Larry Scott feel the need to cancel football season, he went out of his way to cancel all winter sports until at least January 1st. And I can tell you that day, I got texts from three or four basketball coaches like, what is this dude doing? 
It's August. Why is he canceling basketball until January 1st? And why is January 1st some magical date where all of a sudden we're going to be able to come back and play uh, right on January 1st? It didn't make sense, but it was a metaphor for his leadership this entire time. He had to be the most proactive. He had to go above and beyond. He had to show everyone how much smarter he was than everyone else. And in the process, he made himself look more dumb because, oh, by the way, college basketball started on schedule. Beyond just following the Big Ten when it came to football, though, how about this? And this is something I think people have forgotten because there were so many crazy storylines going on at that time. The way the Pac-12 brought football back was one of the single most disorganized, embarrassing, awful things that I've ever seen. And let me explain what happened. So again, Larry Scott decides that he's going to follow the lead of Kevin Warren, follow the lead of the Big Ten, and cancel college football uh, in the middle of August. Again, I think it was idiotic, but I sort of, in a weird way, kind of understand it. They thought they were being smarter than everybody else. Whatever. I disagree, but I do, to a degree, get it, okay? Here was the issue. (laughs) When the Big Ten, when it became clear that they were going to have to bring football back, The Pac-12 had no plan in place and really didn't even seem interested in bringing back football until literally the day the Big Ten announced they were bringing football back. And then all of a sudden the Pac-12 went in scramble mode. And you know why they went in scramble mode? It was because they said, and they were right in saying this, that if you remember, and I talked about it on this show Larry Scott comes out and basically says when it's clear that every other conference is going to play, that he can't play this pathetic, lame winter season that he wanted to play starting in January or February or whatever it was, um, and he realized everybody else is coming back, i got to put a plan in place. He goes, well, we can't play because our our states and their health departments won't let us play. That was true, except here was the thing. As we literally found out a day later... The reason that the Pac-12 wasn't ready to play was because the state health departments weren't going to allow them. Just one problem. They never asked the states if it would be okay to play, and the day after, the states announced, yeah, it's cool. If you remember this, remember, this is a crazy story. The Pac-12 claimed that they couldn't play football because the state health departments wouldn't let them. Oh, then Larry Scott talks about it publicly, and the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, who I do not like, but I will give him credit for this, right away he just basically said, yeah, if you wanted to play, all you had to do was ask us. No big deal. Just let us know when you want to start. We'll let you practice. We'll let you play. We're not going to let fans in the stands. We, we have certain requirements, but we'll let you play. Same with the governor of Oregon, and that is how the Pac-12 football season came back was because of the fact that the state health departments were being, that the Pac-12 assumed that the state health departments wouldn't let them play, and then, oh, they made a little phone call to the state health departments, and they let them play. And so that, again, is a microcosm. And again, then the Pac-12 came back. They came back two weeks after... Um, two weeks after the Big Ten did, really about six, seven, eight weeks after the ACC and the Big 12 started. And what ended up happening was they played a sham of a season where they, it was six games and half the teams couldn't even play anywhere close to their full allotment of games. And it was just an embarrassment. And so enough is enough. And I'll be curious what the next step is for the Pac-12. You know, I've seen a couple names floated around. Gene Smith, who's the current AD of Ohio State, being talked about as the potential new Pac-12 commissioner. Oliver Luck, who once upon a time was actually on this show as the XFL commissioner has been floated around. But I'll tell you this. I'm not going to sit here and break down candidates for the Pac-12 commissioner's job. What I am going to tell you is this. The person that they need, man or woman, young or old, black or white, whatever, whoever they hire just needs to have one thing. They have to have an understanding of college sports. They have to have an understanding of how to create revenue Because the one thing the Pac-12 severely lacks relative to the other conferences, especially the SEC, especially the Big Ten, is an ability to create revenue, which of course builds facilities, pays for good coaches, pays for good assistant coaches, pays for the things that you need to pay for, and they need some brand recognition. I mean, I can't tell, you know, the thing that, that's crazy to me is I live here in the Pac-12 footprint, and I feel like I spend 80% of my time defending the Pac-12. I, you know, because I, I do think that there are some good programs, there are some good coaches, the kids work hard, the parents care, the players care, but they just don't get any support from up top in the administration of the conference. 
And so I think the bigger thing for the Pac-12, they need somebody who knows how to drum up some PR. I'll give you an example. Forget the football season, which was a complete abomination. And by the way, Oregon football should be getting more credit. Mario Cristobal is building a really good program. Washington football, I think, is going to be really good under Jimmy Lake. Herm Edwards is doing good things at Arizona State. But let's take it out of the realm of football. How about basketball? I thought about this. I was texting with somebody about this this week. UCLA basketball, as we speak, might be the best story in college sports right now, college basketball. And that sounds crazy. You're like, well, UCLA, I don't know anything about them. Yeah, you don't know anything about them because the conference doesn't promote them. How about this? UCLA, which, by the way, won 11 of their final 13 games last year to get into second place in the Pac-12. Shout out to Mick Cronin, another friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. Um, They are 11-2 right now. And not only are they 11-2, they are 7-0 in the Pac-12, and they are undefeated, and nobody realizes it. And oh, by the way, I think their last four or five wins have been without their best player, Chris Smith, who is out for the season with injury. And so the biggest brand in this conference, in football, in basketball, excuse me, is literally at the top of the conference having a season where they should be the biggest story in the sport, 11-2, 7-0 overall, and nobody's talking about them. And oh, by the way, the only loss that they've had since opening night, they lost to San Diego State opening night when they had a bunch of players injured. The only other loss they had was to Ohio State at the CBS Sports Classic, which is a really good team. And nobody knows anything about them. They're barely ranked. You probably don't know anything about Oregon. You probably don't know anything about Stanford, Colorado. Whoever is the next conference commissioner has to be able to create revenue, but you also have to be able to create excitement about these teams. And it can't just be, let's play at 9 a.m. It can't just be, like, you have to figure out a way to create excitement because there are good players, there are good athletes, there are good programs in this conference, but they need a little help from the commissioner. And so as I wrap up here, again, I'm not going to break down Pac-12 commissioner power rankings, who they should hire. But what I will tell you is they need a forward thinker, they need an innovator, they need somebody that's smart, they need somebody that has a promotional background because it's just embarrassing how far this conference has fallen. All right, let's transition to, on the court, college basketball. Um, and, you know, look, I, I think that anyone who listens to this show, uh, you know, you know, you, you kind of know, you kind of get a sense for, for the stuff that I've been talking about here over the last couple months. And obviously, since basketball started, I've talked a lot about Kentucky. I've talked a little bit about Duke. I've talked a lot about Kentucky. Kentucky's the Michigan football, college basketball, whatever. I only bring those two programs up today to say, I think it's finally time. I think it's finally time to just accept neither of them is good. Both of them stink. Both of them have taken another loss since I recorded on Tuesday night, or Monday night, I guess it was, into Tuesday. And it's time to accept that we are about to enter an NCAA tournament, which, by the way, we got the NCAA tournament scheduled this week. I have no crazy hot takes about it. I would have liked them to start on Thursday. I think they should have started on Thursday. If that means doing the selection show on Saturday instead of Sunday, big freaking deal, make it happen so that you can start the tournament on Thursday. Um, But I think we have to accept that in 2021, as we're coming off 2020, the craziest year of most of our lives, we have to accept that we are about to get the craziest college basketball tournament of our lives with no fans in Indiana, Hinkle Fieldhouse, Assembly Hall, whatever, and that it's not going to involve Duke and Kentucky. Uh, When it comes to Duke, look, the last time I talked about Duke was when Coach K was trying to cancel the season. And oh, by the way, maybe we know why he was trying to cancel the season now. Because he knew his team stinks. Well, guess what? They fell to 5-4 and four on Tuesday night. They lost to Pitt. And Pitt, while they're 7-2 and two and very respectable, and I love what Jeff Capel has done, and this is no disrespect, Pitt is not a team that Duke should ever lose to. Certainly not this iteration of Pitt. I mean, this ain't the Jamie Dixon, uh, Carl Krauser, Levance Fields Pitt Panthers, okay? This is a Pitt team that lost to to St. Francis to open the season. Um, And really, outside of a couple wins over Syracuse, really hasn't done much in in ACC play. Instead, they host host Duke on on Tuesday night, and they destroy Duke, okay? Duke finishes the game. The final score is 79-73, but if you watch the game, it really wasn't that close. It was double digits most of the second half. Duke makes a little run late to make it respectable. 
But the problem is that Duke flat out stinks. First of all, they can't guard anybody. Uh, Pitt's best player, Justin Champagne, Ch- Justin Champagne, I don't know how to pronounce his stupid name. You get the point. Champagne, I believe it's Champagne, like a penny in your pocket. But you get the point. A lot of peas in that. Um, Champagne goes for 31 and 14. But this Duke team just stinks, okay? Um, and I've talked a ton about them throughout the season. But all of the problems that they've had, which, by the way, they're the same problems as Kentucky, um, I don't really think they're getting better. They have their best point guard is a true freshman who is coming off of a major knee surgery, and he's actually been pretty good, all things considered, but he's just not the kind of player that you need at Duke to have the success that you need to have. That's Jeremy Roach. He's playing better, but when you're coming off Tyus Jones last year, or Trey Jones, God, I'm tripping up over everything. When you're coming off Trey Jones last year, who was the ACC Player of the Year, like, I'm sorry, he, he's just not the same caliber of player. You have wings that cannot shoot. Not trying to pick on anybody specifically, but Wendell Moore was a player that many of us, myself included, thought was an NBA prospect coming out of high school. He's shooting 27% from three this season. Just can't get it going. I've talked to you before. The two best players on the team, Matthew Hurt, Jalen Johnson, they're both kind of the same player. They play on the interior. They, uh, they, they can't create their own offense. They're good around the rim. They're good, uh, uh, you know, Matthew Hurt's good you know, 15, 20 feet from the rim. But the bottom line remains is that they're very limited in what they can do. And it speaks to a bigger microcosm of Duke, which is that kind of frankly, like Kentucky, they have a lot of really nice parts that just don't fit it all together, right? That's part of being basketball uh, is a team. It's guys that fit together. It's guys that play well together. And these Duke guys, when you watch them, they just look like a bunch of guys that really haven't played uh, what together and, and don't know each other. And maybe that is, again, partly due to the pandemic, partly due to the limited practices. Probably didn't help that Coach K sent them away for 10 days. Um, but the bottom line remains is that this team, there's just no reason to think at this point that this is an actual NCAA tournament team. And when I look at them, um, first of all, their record is 5-4 and four right now, which isn't nearly as bad as Kentucky. So shout out to Duke. You're just not as bad as Kentucky. Now, granted, they didn't play anybody in the out-of-conference uh, outside of the mandated SEC or the ACC Big Ten Challenge and the Champions Classic. But, you know, they, they were able to pick up a few wins. But if you look at their wins, their victories right now, Duke's victories as we speak here on January 21st, are over Coppin State, Bellarmine, Notre Dame, Boston College by one point, and Wake Forest. That's it. That's the list. Bellarmine, Coppin State, Wake Forest, Boston College by one, and Notre Dame. That is not an NCAA tournament resume. On the flip side, the four best teams they've played, they've all lost to pretty convincingly. They lost to Michigan State by double digits. They lost to Illinois by 15. They lost to Virginia Tech last week at Virginia Tech, and they lose to Pitt on Tuesday. And here's the crazy part about Duke. That was the easy part of the schedule. You already got Wake. You already got Boston College. You know who their next three are? At Louisville, who even though I know Louisville's lost two in a row, I actually think Louisville's a pretty decent team. Then after that, you play Georgia Tech, who, oh, by the way, after they decided to have actual contact at their practices in 7-1 and one in their last eight games, and then you play Clemson, a team that's currently ranked in the top 25. And then, oh, by the way, on top of that, After that, you still have two games against Carolina. This is not a vintage Carolina team, but they're definitely better than Duke right now. You have another game against Louisville. You probably have a makeup game against Florida State. You have Virginia. And I think you're looking at at least another five or six losses on this schedule. And this is when you're sitting at five and four overall. And that's assuming that you actually beat the teams that you're supposed to, the Miamis, the Syracuses, teams like that that are on the fringe of the bubble of the NCAA tournament. Um, I just don't see where the wins are going to come from. Like I said, two against Carolina still, two against Louisville still, Virginia, Florida State will get made up. Georgia Tech all of a sudden doesn't look so bad. You play them twice. And so when I look at Duke, I just don't think this is a tournament team. No disrespect. Coach K is still still a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to say the GOAT because I think Jim Calhoun's the GOAT. John Wooden, whoever. Coach K is still really good. But this team doesn't have parts that fit, and I don't think it's going to get better. And I think the best thing that they need is, much like Kentucky, an offseason, bring back whoever you're going to bring back, get them to practice more, get them to practice together, get them to get to know each other. But I think they're a team that was really hurt by this pandemic. Take it a step further. 
Let's talk very briefly about Kentucky. And I'll tell you this. I said it the other day. I'm done talking about Kentucky on this show. And I know you guys are sitting there saying, oh, you're going to talk about them for 45 minutes. I get it, but I'm really not. I've said everything I have to say about Kentucky. Um, You know, some of it I blame on John Calipari. There's no rotations. There's no this. There's no that. I don't like the makeup of this team. But the bottom line is I do think some of it is a couple things. One, the, the, the roster just doesn't fit together like Duke, which is partly on John Calipari. But you're talking about a roster that has two guys at point guard that neither of them played well on Wednesday night. By the way, I should preface, for those who didn't see it, Kentucky lost at Georgia on Wednesday. It snapped a 14-game win streak they had over Georgia. Um, and it just beat, like, Kentucky's 4-9 and nine right now, okay? Um, and when, you, when I look at this team, it's the same story I always say. They're not skilled enough. They can't shoot the three. Their big guys are all kind of stiffs around the basket that can't really do all that much. And it's just not going to get better, right? Like, like when they had that three-game winning, th- winning streak, I think we all, myself included, thought it was going to get better. But it's just not. I mean, when you lose to Auburn, when Auburn scores 66 points and Sharif Cooper doesn't even play well, and then you followed up with a loss to Georgia, that's not good. And you fall to four and nine. And here's the crazy, crazy thing with Kentucky. They have two, much like Duke, just gone through the easy part of their schedule. You know what Kentucky's next five games are? Their next five games are LSU at home. LSU's going to make the NCAA tournament. Alabama on the road. Uh, Alabama's one of probably the five best teams in college basketball right now. Texas. Texas is actually one of the five best teams in college basketball, ranked number five in the country. They play Kentucky in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. After that, at Missouri, pretty good team, probably going to make the NCAA tournament. Then it's Tennessee, maybe the second best team in the SEC. So we're talking about a team that's four and nine now that has the toughest stretch of their schedule the entire season hasn't even happened yet. And so when I look at that stretch, first of all, there's no reason to think right now that they're going to win any of those games. And it's not me being like, oh, Torres with a hot taker. He hates Calipari. Like, I'm just telling you, I've watched every one of their games. If you can't beat Georgia on the road, There's no reason to think you're beating LSU or Texas at home. There's no reason to think you're beating Tennessee. There's no reason to think you're beating Missouri. There's no reason to think you're beating Texas. But even if you win a couple of those games, let's say in a best-case scenario, that five-game stretch that I just gave you, let's say Kentucky goes 3-2. and I think they're more likely to go 0-5 than 3-2, and but let's play devil's advocate. Even if you go 3-2, and you're currently sitting at 4-9. and Well, guess what? 3-2 and 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 4-9, that's still 7-11. and That's if you go three and two over the toughest stretch part of your schedule. And that probably isn't going to happen. And even if you do go three and two, you're still at seven and 11. And you still got games later in the season with another matchup with Auburn. Arkansas, who I still think is pretty good. We'll talk about them in a minute. Another game against Tennessee. And so I just don't think it's happening. You know, I guess in theory, maybe they could get hot at the SEC tournament. But if we're talking about, one, who even knows if we're going to play an SEC tournament? I know Sean Farnham on this show said that he believes conference tournaments are going to get played. But who knows if we're even going to play them? But two, the one thing that Kentucky always has going forward at the SEC tournament, they got a bunch of fans there. There ain't going to be any fans there this year. And if there are, it's not going to be very many. And so when I look at Kentucky, like, look, I can sit here and break down the Georgia game. But it was maybe the worst effort they've had all year. And it's the same problems they've always had. They don't have enough shooting. They can't figure out their rotations. On Wednesday, they turn the ball over way, way, way too much. Um, you know, their big guys are, are not very skilled. I, I said this on Twitter, and I know this isn't Kentucky's only problem, but, you know, you look at a team like Alabama, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Alabama, every single guy on that roster can shoot. One through five, five through one. Kentucky, not only do they not have guys that can shoot, they got like half their roster can't shoot. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody specifically, but think about their big guys. Lance Ware, Isaiah Jackson, Olivier Saar. Olivier Saar can kind of hit the outside shot only if he's wide open. Jacob Toppin's a good player. He can't hit an outside shot. And so you go on and on down the list. This this roster just isn't going to get fixed. It's just not getting any better. You're not going to have a point guard that can make plays. You're not going to have a point guard that can get everybody else involved. You're not going to have a bunch of shooters around the perimeter that can hit open jump shots. You're not going to have big guys that can stretch the floor. And so I'm going on and on, and I'm just beating around the bush. But the bottom line remains, this team is not going to make the NCAA tournament. I don't think Duke's going to make the NCAA tournament. 
And I do think this was the week, January 21st, week of, where we have come to accept neither of these teams is very good. By the way, I would add there's a couple other blue bloods that aren't looking very good right now. Michigan State's 2-4 and four in Big Ten, Big Ten play. Uh, North Carolina did beat Wake Forest, but they're kind of up and down. But I think we're just living in a world where Duke and Kentucky, I think we have to accept they are not NCAA tournament teams. You know who is an NCAA tournament team? How about my Alabama Crimson Tide? And I do want to wrap uh, this segment with Alabama. And let me tell you this. You know, you listen to this show, and, and, and I spit out a lot of opinions, right? Some of them are really wrong. Like, I don't know. I thought Kentucky was going to be awesome in the preseason. Whoops. Missed on that one. But there are also other ones that, hate to brag, kind of nail them. And I told you two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, when Florida beat, uh, when Alabama beat Florida, I said, I'm just telling you, this might be the best team in the SEC. And when I said it, I got the usual brushback of, oh, they got lucky against Tennessee and wait until they play this team and wait until they play that team. Well, since I said that on this podcast two Mondays ago, here is what our Alabama Crimson Tide, and they are our team now, because I told you it was going to happen. Uh, they beat Kentucky by 20 at Rupp Arena. Then they beat Arkansas by 31. Then on Tuesday night, they went to Baton Rouge to play the LSU Tigers, a team that many consider to be maybe the second-best team in the SEC. Maybe it's Tennessee. Tennessee struggled at Florida. So LSU's probably the second-best team in the SEC. Going to be a great game, right? Alabama's number one in the standings. LSU's number two. It's in Baton Rouge. Going to be a fun game. I know. Alabama, SEC record, 23 three-pointers, 60 points at halftime. And they win 95 to 65, destroying LSU. And as I said on Twitter, what they did to Will Wade is way worse than anything the FBI did. Let me just tell you that. What they did to LSU is way worse than anything that, that Will Wade did. What they did to Will Wade is way worse than anything that the FBI actually did. But when I look at this team, man, I'm just telling you, look, I told you two or three weeks ago, this was the best team in the SEC. And now they have proved it beyond a reasonable doubt. And as I look at this team, I just think their story is so incredible. I think it's so unbelievable. And I think we got to revisit it after what they have done here over the last couple weeks. And really where it starts is Nate Oates, right? And it's funny, by now Nate Oates' kind of story has been told and retold. And he's talked about it a little bit on this podcast. But, uh, you know, this was a, a guy that started as a high school coach not all that long ago. Ends up at Buffalo with Bobby Hurley from Buffalo Coast to Alabama. And the one thing that I always liked, and I've talked about on this show, he had a brand and a style that he wanted to play, and he's done a heck of a job recruiting to it. And by now, we all know what that style is, right? Modern NBA, only three-pointers and layups at the basket. And for people who don't really understand the concept behind it, those are analytically the best shots you can take. A layup at the basket uh, is almost always going to result in two points or you go to the foul line. And a three-pointer, of course, is worth one more point than anything inside the arc. And so Alabama, that's the way they play, and they played that way to a T on Tuesday night at LSU. Don't know if you saw the shot chart, but it was kind of insane. They finished the game taking 60 field goal attempts, 43, 68, excuse me, 43 were from outside the three-point arc. If that isn't modern basketball, I don't know what is. But what has been just as impressive with Alabama is the way that Nate Oates has built this roster. Because it's one thing to have a style and a way you want to play, but it's another thing to actually execute it and actually in college recruit to the system. And what I've been so impressed by is he's done as well of a job as anybody, right? And it's funny because in, co in college basketball and in the SEC specifically, we always talk about John Calipari, his ability to uh, you know flip over a roster and have success prior to this year. And by the way, for all the Calipari criticism, the guy is still a Hall of Famer, and, and you know, I, I've, I've, I've criticized him plenty this year. I just, the last segment, I just, it, it wasn't in me. Um, but we talk about how Calipari always flips over to rosters. We talk about Eric Musselman at Arkansas, how he flips over rosters. Well, Nate Oates has almost completely flipped over this roster in a couple short years since he's been there, and that's the incredible part. They had eight new players coming into this season if you include, um, you know, players that sat out last year because of injury. But I like the way that he's built this roster. I like the way that he's done it in kind of the modern college basketball way of, um, you know, of, of, of 
He's got a couple of returnees with John Petty and Herb Jones. He's got a, a couple of transfers. He's got a grad transfer in Jordan Bruner, a sit-out transfer in Javon Quinterly. He's got a reclassified kid in Josh Primo, who's a five-star player. And he's just done an incredible job of building this roster on the fly. And it, it fits the mold that he wants to play. And I am amazed how quickly he has gotten them to play this way and how hard they play. That was the most impressive thing from Tuesday night. And if you watch the game, the broadcasters kept talking about it. Alabama was the team that was up by 30 for most of the game. And they were the team that was playing like they were down 30, scrapping, clawing, diving on the floor for loose balls, all that stuff. So I love the way they play. I also love the way that Nate Oates has gotten them to commit on the defensive end. If you watch this team last year, it was a lot of up and down. It was a lot of peaks and valleys. They scored a lot. They gave up a lot. Well, this year, you look at the final scores. I mean, yeah, they gave up 75 to LSU, but one, LSU is one of the highest scoring teams in the SEC coming into this game. And two, when you think about how many shots that uh, Alabama took and how many opportunities LSU had, that 75 really isn't that bad. Alabama previously gave up 59 to Arkansas, 65 to Kentucky, um, excuse me, 63 to Tennessee, 64 to Ole Miss. They're playing real defense. And so when I look at them, in the bigger picture and the smaller picture, I am just so fascinated and excited to watch this program. I think in the smaller picture, you know, I, I don't want to jump the gun here because they are only two games up in the standings over LSU and Tennessee is at two and a half games back. I think we have our SEC champ. Like, I don't want to get too over the top with this, but, but like, just give them the SEC championship now. Let me tell you why. One, they have a two-game lead in the standings. They already have a head-to-head -head win over LSU. They have a head-to-head -head win over Tennessee, who also has two losses, and they're not going to play Tennessee again. Um, and you look at who they've beaten. The crazy thing about what Alabama has done, they have already played the hard part of their schedule. What do I mean by that? Well, look at who they've beaten. Florida, Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky. These were the teams that were picked to finish at the top of the standings in the SEC this year. As a matter of fact, this is kind of crazy. I found this stat. Well, I found it myself because I'm awesome, but I found this stat. How about this first stat? Alabama was picked to finish fifth in the SEC in the preseason. They beat the teams that were picked to They have already, I should say, picked the teams that were picked to finish first, second, third, fourth, sixth, and seventh in the preseason. So they were picked to finish fifth in the preseason, and they have already, at this point, going 7-0, and beating the teams picked to finish first, second, third, fourth, sixth, and seventh. That would be, off the top of my head, Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, Florida, Arkansas, and Auburn. They've beaten all of them, and they've beaten them by an average of 18 points. So when you're talking about a team that is, like, just give them the SEC championship now. Ain't nobody catching up with this team at this point in the season, knock on wood, barring anything crazy happening with injuries or whatever. Speaking of which, that's just as impressive is that they're doing it without their full team. Jordan Bruner, who was their starting center, got hurt against Kentucky. He's out a couple weeks as he recovers from knee surgery. Um, Javon Quinterly was out for a bunch of games, their starting point guard. Herb Jones is playing at less than 100%. So what they're doing is that much more incredible and then I also just think you got to talk about it in the big picture, in the long term. Because I think this thing's just getting started with Nate Oates. I mean, you talk about a guy that, first of all, he loves to recruit, competitive as hell. And now that he's got this style on tape, the kids can see that you can come here and take a bunch of threes and play fast and play fun as long as you commit to defense. He's going to crush it on the recruiting trail. I mean, he already is. Top 20 class this past season. This year, he's got a top 10 uh, recruit in the country, J.D. Davison, who's from Alabama committed. But I don't know how this thing does not keep rolling. So shout out to Alabama and shout out to the bigger picture. Because I told you two weeks ago that they were awesome. And now they're playing like one of the five best teams in the country. Now, I'm not saying they should be ranked in the top five because they had a couple early season losses. And I'm not saying they, they, they are a definitive top five team. But once you get past Gonzaga and Baylor, I mean, who else are we really talking about here that's playing better than Alabama right now? Maybe to a degree Texas, maybe, but they just lost to Texas Tech last week. Maybe Michigan. There ain't very many, though. So shout out to Alabama, who I think is really, really, really just one of the best stories in the sport. Uh, really quickly before we get to Macy Oteague, did want to give a quick shout out also to Arkansas. Very nice win on Wednesday night. They beat Auburn. They were down 19 points in the first half. They battled back, uh, and they really needed this win because they were a team that had lost back-to-back -back games at LSU, at Alabama. 
bounce back, get the win over Auburn, and Arkansas is still a team that I believe is an NCAA tournament team uh, going forward. But I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. was hoping to do 25 minutes. I went long on Larry Scott. What can I say? The guy was an idiot. Uh, so forgive me, but that is it for this segment and this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Well, not this episode, because I still got an interview coming up. You know who's coming up? Baylor basketball. Macy Oteek. So it's crazy how this interview came together. I had Scott Drew on last year. Um, but really, after Baylor won... On Tuesday night, I said, I got to get somebody from Baylor on. And I already had Scott Drew, so I reached out to him, and they were great. Helped me get Macy Oteague, who was the second-leading scorer, all-Big 12 player last year, and just a really fun interview. If you're curious, how did this Baylor thing come together? Are they for real? What are they like behind the scenes? Do they Are they as competitive uh, off the court as they are on the court? I think you'll really enjoy this. And at the very least, you'll learn about one of the best programs in college basketball this year. So Macy Oteague, Baylor star coming up. But before we get out of here, I want to do a quick reminder. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, make sure to do so iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on, on Twitter, I guess. I tripped over my own words there. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Um, YouTube, Facebook, all that good stuff. So make sure you're following on all of the platforms. But yeah, that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. This, this, this segment, I should say this segment. That is it for this segment. I will be back on Monday with a new episode. But in the meantime, let's get to Macy Oteek. He is, of course. The uh, star of the Baylor Bears, number two team in the country, maybe better than Gonzaga. Talked about that last episode. Here is Baylor star Macy Oteague. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, very excited about this guest. He is one of the stars of the number two ranked team in all of college basketball, the Baylor Bears. Big week. You beat Texas Tech, you beat Kansas. Maceo Teague is joining me. Maceo, my man, what's going on? Not much, man. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. And I want to get to a lot of basketball stuff here momentarily. But before I do, uh, I did a little bit of homework. I'm told that not only are the Baylor Bears the one of the, if not the best basketball team in college basketball, I heard you guys are the best Uno players in college basketball. <laughs> is it true you guys got some pretty crazy Uno games going on on the planes and the locker room and all that stuff? Yeah, that's true, but uh, I I don't know who they said was the best, but I, it's me. It's me. I, I know. That, yeah, I, I know that Jared might have said that he's the best, but ask him our score is ten to four, and if he tells you anything other than that, he's not telling the truth. Okay, because I did hear. I heard Jared Butler, All American on the court, All Big Twelve, All All American uh, Uno player. That's not the truth. I'm I'm getting a uh, fake news here. Listen, listen. He's like 15th team All American in Uno. I'm telling you that. Okay. Right he's so 15th. what's What's the strategy in Uno? I mean, we got everyone plays Uno, so what's the strategy? I mean, what leads you to be the best Uno player, arguably, in college basketball? I just outthink the opponent. I, I know okay. what they want to do on their end, and I, I just outsmart them. That's all it, what it comes down to. It's no luck behind it. It's 100% skill for me. See, everyone says Uno's a game of luck, so you just disagree with that vehemently. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, you know, you guys are really, apparently you're really good at Uno. I mean, I, I've never actually seen it with my own two eyes, but obviously you're good on the court. Uh, what, what do you make of things so far, man? I mean, it's been a surreal, um, I don't know what, year and a half, two years. You know, you get eligible last year as a transfer. You guys put together the best regular season in school history. Obviously, we all know what happened in March. You go through the draft process and, and decide to come back, but along with Jared Butler, along with Davion Mitchell, along with all the guys that you have, you guys have not missed a beat at all. What do you make of the 2020-21 season so far, man? Uh, you know, we got a lot of chemistry going into this year. You see a lot of uh, schools who may not have as much chemistry, and uh, they're struggling a little bit right now, but we all played with each other last year. Uh, we got John and Adam that came on the scene, and uh, we got to play with them this summer. We talked uh, we talked a lot about each other's strengths. We saw what each other's strengths were. Uh, we put and we try to put each other in positions where we know uh, we'll all succeed. 
Dumb question, but where does that chemistry come from? Because I think that's one of the things that really, as an outsider, really just impresses me about you guys is, you know, you're averaging 15 a game. Jared's averaging 16, 17, somewhere in there. Davion Mitchell can get you 20. Uh, Flagler can get you 20. Um, and it just seems like it feels like there's no ego that you guys are genuinely happy when other guys have success. Where does that chemistry come from? Man, I, I think it comes from uh... – I really think it comes from maybe the head in Coach Drew. I mean, he preaches a uh, plan for Jesus, then others, and then yourself. You know what I mean? So uh, I feel like that's where it all comes from. Uh, so Coach Drew preaches that to us, and uh, and then it comes. It it's it's up to us to buy in into the program. Uh, we've all bought in, and uh, I feel like that's what helps us become really successful as players and as a team. When you were recruited, I mean, was that so for people who don't know, you started your career at UNC Asheville, your coach leaves, you elect to transfer. Obviously, everything worked out great for you um, when you made that decision. I mean, was that a sense that you got? I mean, I know some of the guys that are there now weren't necessarily in the program at that time. But was that a sense that you got being part uh, when you kind of visited Baylor and did all that stuff? Was that it was a selfless group of guys, group of guys that loves to, to, to you know, win, obviously, but do so get other, get everyone involved, all that kind of stuff? Right. Uh, honestly, the guys who were here when I came, like none of those guys are really here anymore. I played with, I think, Freddie last year, but I think the core group of guys that we have are all new guys. I mean, Jared was here in my red shirt year, but other than that, uh, I feel like there's a new starting lineup uh, with Mark. I, yeah, there's pretty much a new group of guys and uh, it's a new style of play. And uh, it's just a new background or a new culture that we have here at Baylor, I feel like, uh, with getting in the gym. Uh, with how we care for each other and things like that. And I feel like that allows us to be very successful. And so how important is it for you as an older guy, as a vet, to establish that on the younger guys that, yeah, I got my 20 tonight, tomorrow I might only get six, or I only got six tonight, tomorrow I might get my 25, but we're all in this together. I mean, how important do you feel like you are in creating kind of that culture around the program? I feel like uh, I'm a vital piece to it because if they see uh, I'm bought in, then it's easier for them to buy in because – at the end of the day, if you have like your peers telling you to do something over that your coach, then then you're more likely to buy in. Uh, so if Coach Drew tells us we need to sprint back on defense, they might not buy into it. But if they see four other guys sprint back because they've been in a program and they're the only one, then now they know like I need to I need to uh, pull my weight and I need to be getting back on defense as well as the other guys. So it's just holding each other accountable, and uh, I feel like we do a great job at that here at Baylor. So let me ask you a dumb question. You guys are now 13-0. As I said, you're coming off uh, really impressive wins over Kansas, Texas Tech. Do you feel like you guys are getting the credit that you deserve? Because it just feels like there's a lot of talk about Gonzaga. There's a lot of talk about some other teams. And it, it, it feels like, I don't know, that Baylor's kind of slipping under the radar. People aren't talking about you guys as much as some other teams. Honestly, me personally, I don't know. I don't really watch uh, TV like that. I watch like NBA games. I'll, I'll put on, and they're never talking about college basketball when I watch NBA. I don't you really need to watch start, college. man. Yeah, I, I don't really watch the college. I don't watch the ESPN, like St Stephen A. Smith, like guys like them talking throughout the day or like when they're doing like build up, so like Jay Billis or somebody talking uh, about the games before college basketball. I don't listen to any of that stuff. Honestly, I, I watch all of our games with the sound off. I don't listen to the announcers. I don't listen to any of that stuff. So, uh, uh, for me, I, I don't know what they're saying right now, but we know what we have in our locker room and we just uh, will get our opportunity to prove it going forward. Yeah, no. And, you know, do you think part of it, too, you guys had so many of those games um, postponed early? Because, you know, I, I know you say you don't talk, you don't hear about it, but when you're supposed to play Villanova and you don't get the chance to play them, when you're supposed to play Arizona State, Gonzaga, in-conference play, Texas, West Virginia, uh, do you think that has anything to do with it? Because it feels like those first few weeks, like I think you guys played in Vegas and it wasn't on TV. And it's like, dude, you know, it's 2021. Everything is on TV. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, do you think that that might have played a role in it at all? It's just you guys just had that quirky, weird COVID schedule where things are kind of start and stop all that stuff? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I feel like that definitely played a role into it. And, um, we had a chance to go prove ourselves at the beginning of the season. Coach Drew. Uh, that shows you what type of guy he is. He he put on the schedule, Arizona State the first game, Villanova possibly, well, they won. So Villanova the second game, Seton Hall the third game, Illinois the fourth, Gonzaga the fifth. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like we we're ducking any smoke or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I, I think it's silly for guys to say that that they don't know what we're capable of when they when we got the same core group of guys coming back from uh, the past season and they we were deemed as maybe the best team in the country uh, last year. And I feel like, we're the same this year. We're the same guys. 
how have you guys handled it in the locker room um, when games are canceled? I mean, you know, what, it isn't just a Gonzaga game. Like I said, you know, and some of them are day of, some of them are day before, whatever. How hard has this season been with the start stop? You know, kind of mentally, you're gearing yourself up to play Arizona State, Gonzaga, uh, whoever, Seton Hall. Then those games get moved or postponed or pushed back or delayed or whatever. I mean, how have you guys handled that internally? Because it feels like it'd be a lot to kind of, you know, start and stop with all that. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. That's how I look at it. Uh, I feel like that's what the guy, how the guys look at it, too. It is what it is. At the end of the day, uh, you just got to be prepared for prepared for whatever. I mean, if, if the game gets canceled, we're going to practice that day, unfortunately. And we're going to uh, have practice. Uh, if it's not us that tested positive for the virus, we'll practice. You know, try to get us a game going forward in the next day or two, and uh, we'll play that game. And uh, we just got to be ready, stay ready, so you don't have to get ready kind of mentality. I have to imagine, though, even with that said, the Gonzaga game, was that one a little bit different? I mean, you're in the arena or on your way to the arena, um, you know, number one, number two. I mean, was that one at least a little bit different considering the circumstances? Uh, we were looking forward to playing the game. Um, I got up and went uh, to shoot around that morning. I came back to the hotel and um, they told us right before we were about to go to the because I think we we're leaving at what time is the game? 1130, I think, or 1, 1 p.m.? I think uh, so. I we were going to leave the hotel. I think at like eleven fifteen and get over to the gym by eleven thirty, and uh, they texted us at like eleven fourteen and said stay eleven ten and said stay in your room or something like that. Oh. And, uh, so like we're thinking like what's going on. So I ended up DMing Corey Kispert from Gonzaga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I I know him because we played in a on like a AIA trip together. So I DM'd him and I said, uh, are, are we playing y'all or not? Like, I just asked him. <laughs> and he said, nah, the game's canceled. And um, and he said, yeah, I'm so sick about it. And then uh, they told the team probably like 10 minutes later, because I guess they were still trying to figure everything out on at Baylor's end. But Corey told me straight up that we weren't playing. So uh, wow. the word kind of spread. And uh, everybody was disappointed. And then we just got on the flight and left. But it was it was kind of strange, though. I know you're taking it one game at a time, all that stuff, but, you know, there are rumors that you guys could potentially, that the, the schools, the coaches are trying to work to make that game happen, even in this regular season. And then, of course, there's the potential for the NCAA tournament uh, down the road. I mean, again, that's this is no disrespect intended to anybody in the Big 12, anybody else on your schedule. But it, would it be cool for you guys to get that opportunity at some point to play them just based on how well these two teams, how well your team and their team have looked so far this season? Uh, it would be a cool opportunity to play them. Uh, I'm sure that they're doing well. They're still ranked number one. But like I said earlier, like I haven't watched them play. Uh, they're not on our schedule. They're really not on my radar, honestly. Really? You yeah. I know you don't. You said you only watched the NBA. You haven't even had the inkling to want to see what they're about a little bit? I saw I saw part of their game when they played Kansas uh, early in the season. But uh, that, that was 12 games ago, probably. And, and 12 games ago, you know, some guy, somebody on the team might have been playing 10 minutes. Now he's playing 30 minutes a game, you know. So it's a lot that could change in that uh, in that amount of time in a month and a half that's gone by. So uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what those guys are doing. And that's no disrespect to them because I know they have a lot of talented players. I think they probably got like four NBA players on their team, sure. if I'm not wrong. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're a talented group of guys. But we got the Big 12 that we're focused on. Uh, we're just focused on what's set in stone in our schedule. And I'll leave that for Coach Drew and the guys upstairs to focus on that that's not for me there you go you mentioned the nba you know you actually did test the waters last year um you know what was that experience like for you i mean again i don't want to keep reiterating your kind of background but you start you know you were a really good high school player but you started out at the quote unquote low major level you get the chance to perform at an all big 12 level last year um, what was that experience like to, to get in front of NBA personnel? I know it was weird without traveling and in-person stuff, but, but how, what was that experience like? Uh, it was cool uh, getting in front of the personnel and just having to, hearing the questions that they asked me, uh, seeing what feedback uh, or seeing what they said I need to work on, see how they said I need to better myself. And uh, those aspects, was, they, those were really cool, especially when uh, they told me like what they thought they saw in my game how I can improve and me personally, like I really like to get in the gym. So um, I just attacked like the stuff that they said, I had it all written out on a, in a document. I took the notes on my phone, then I typed it up on a, on a Google doc. 
and I wrote it all down, like compared the notes to what each team said. And I uh, was like, okay, well, like, I like what they said about this. Uh, I don't know if I agree with like this small part and I took it up with my coaches. They're like, oh, I think you're good at this. Uh, don't worry about them saying that because that was only one team, but four teams said this. So we're going to work on this this summer and we're going to put you in these type of situations next year going forward to where uh, you'll be better going into the NBA draft next year. And, and me working with myself, my trainer, my coaches, and we're all in like one, we're like one cohesive unit. And that shows a lot about how the guys upstairs, Coach Drew, uh, Coach Jacobs, um, they, Coach New, Coach Tang, all, like all of the guys on the staff, Coach Brooks, AD, Coach Ty, Coach P, all of those guys up there really care about us and our future and for the betterment of us and for the program. So that shows a lot about them. How do you find that balance of, you know, to, to get to the next level and succeed there, I need to work on this, but maybe it isn't on this particular night what Baylor needs from me. Maybe they need me to do this, this, and this. Where do you find that balance of, I, I want to prove that I am an NBA player. I know I'm an NBA player, but I also maybe don't have that opportunity to, to kind of do this one or two things, uh, you know, in this particular game or whatever. Uh, you know, just at the end of the day, uh, I feel like if, if it's to be, if it's, like if it's to be, it'll happen. Um, at the end of the day, that's what I feel like. Uh, coaches put me in certain situations um, in second side stuff on the floor, and I feel like I really excelled in that this season. Uh, really bought into what they said with um, and what would help me going forward. And at the end of the day, I'm just trying to win and produce at a high level. And the coaches have put me in a lot of situations to where it's up to me to execute the plan. Did you get any weird questions in the draft process that you can share? Like the weirdest one? Uh, the weirdest one? Uh, <laughs> nah, I, I don't. I can't necessarily think of any questions off the top of my head that were really weird. Um, but I, I, I definitely enjoyed the process. Nothing like if you could be a dog or a cat, which would you be? Or I, I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff. So nothing that crazy, huh? Nah, no one asked me anything crazy like that. Very good. A couple questions. We'll let you go. Um, first of all. You know, you mentioned Coach Drew a lot. I've had him on this show. I love just hopping on the phone with him and talking ball. I mean, you know, out from the outside, I don't I don't claim to know him well, but he seems like a really lighthearted, fun guy to be around. Now, well, he can be serious when it's time to get serious, but he also, you know, he just has a, a fun uh, energy to him. Is that what, – what is he like behind the scenes? I mean, what is he like uh, for people who don't know him well? Man, uh, you said he's got a fun energy. When, I, when he was recruiting me, I thought it was fake. Like, really? no, like, I thought it was fake. It's like, it's like, he's so energetic that I was like, ah, oh, this guy's just doing this. And when I get here, he's going to change. He's like that every day. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally every day. Like, I think he like does take, like drinks seven, five hour energies before he comes. <laughs> hey, how's it going, man? How's it going? What's up, baby? Like, we got to have a good day today. Yeah. Like, he's like super energetic like that. And it's every single day. So like, he's like, you want consistency out of a guy. You're getting consistency out of Coach Drew. So he's he's definitely lighthearted. He cares about us as a as a person, as a player. And um he's a he's a great guy to be around. That's funny, man. Yeah, I think I've told this story, but the first time I got on the phone with him, I called him and he just picks up the phone and goes, Hey, what's going on, man? Uh yeah, I'll be right there. We got a six nine tuba player on campus. We're bringing him in for a workout. I gotta see if he can play. I'll call you back. And I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, uh, hello would have been good, but like that was literally how he picked up the phone. And so I'm glad, you know, I, I, I like I said, I love talking to him. I love being around him. And it sounds like, uh, you know, he, he very much lives up to what I've seen from a distance. I know you got to run here. Last question, man. You know, and I want, I appreciate you doing this, you know, two, we talked a lot a minute ago about how good you guys are, for, you know, flat out point blank, the excitement around the team. And especially this week, where you had those two marquee games, Texas Tech and, of course, Kansas on Monday. I'm not saying the energy is going to dip, but how do you keep that energy level high? Because, obviously, after last season, for people who don't remember, I think you were 26-4, and four, something like that. Uh, and then this season, 13-0, and 0, you guys got the target on your back, especially now that you've proven it again against Kansas, Texas Tech, et cetera. I mean, how do you keep that energy up and that focus going? Because, obviously, we're only at about the halfway point. There's a lot of basketball to be played, and you want to be playing this well in the middle of March, not just in the middle of January. Right. Uh, we don't feel like we have a target on their back. We feel like really? we're, you know, we feel like we're hunting people. Uh, I mean, we got Oklahoma State coming up this weekend. I mean, they got uh, the top three potential uh, draft pick on their team. And it's not just him, though. They have, like, really good players. And if you went back and go back and watch our game against them, we didn't take the lead at their place until it was, like, four minutes to go in a game. Like, they were beating us by, like, 15 points from the 20-minute mark in the first half to, like, 
the five minute mark and then we kind of cut the lead to 10 at half and it was like we, they still kept us at bay for most of the game we finally uh, claimed the lead we played them at home it was really a close game it was hard fought we got Kansas State after that I mean they're I don't think they're doing well right now in the Big 12 but they got players and it, any night could be their night and uh we, we just got to stay locked in um that, that's the main thing about it we our energy will be high and uh we just got to stay locked in and continue to produce at a high level as a unit all right, Macy Oteague, uh, all Big 12, star of the Baylor Bears. I think you guys are the, maybe the best story in the sport right now, man. I'm happy for your success, continued success, uh, and we'll talk soon, man. Thank you for the time. All right, thank you for having me. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.